listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Manny. Joins me, not remotely, it's Zisha. Hey, not remotely, fam. Finally. Finally. What's up, guys? Yeah, we're back doing the podcast in person. We do have a new setup going on. Yep. As you can see, it's a bit of a work in progress. Uh, little new, space is a little new, so... Uh, but it's good. Means uh, more good things to come in the yep, future. Yeah, for sure. Means uh, better quality order, bro. So just better. Having a better setup makes a huge difference. Absolutely, that's, that's for sure. Uh, so that's why we want to apologize if you guys hear any echoes or anything, just because again, bit of an empty space right now. But we're trying to fill it up uh, slowly but surely. But speaking of new things, uh, we're in the we're in the we're in the playoffs, man. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we're, we're at the point in the time where shit gets real. Uh, you gotta play for play for it all. You gotta play for that championship, for that Larry O'Brien trophy, and uh, yeah, man. Playoffs is the best time of year, right? It uh, is. It's also we'll, very stress free for us. Yeah, for the first time, as as you guys might have uh, uh, heard in the last couple of episodes, um, for me at least, this is the most stress free playoffs I've had in a while. Yeah. Uh, since our Raptors are not in the playoffs, yeah. um, and hopefully we're gonna get that number one pick. Fade for Cade. Pay for Cade, facts. We're already in there. But since we, we're now past the play-in tournament, we want to start doing our predictions for the playoffs. Uh, and in this episode, we're going to start off with our Eastern Conference Round 1 playoff predictions. So basically, we're going to break down each series because they're now official and give you guys our prediction and talk about the series a little bit and what we think is going to happen. Uh, and the Eastern Conference is shaping up to be a pretty interesting first round. Uh, starting us off with the first matchup, we have we have the first-seeded Philadelphia 76ers taking on the eight-seeded Washington Wizards. Now, the Wizards obviously uh, lost the first game of the play-in, but won the second game in order to make it as the eight-seed. They were already the eight-seed going into the play-in, but... We'll talk about the play-in and what we think about it a little later. Yeah, but again, Washington secured their, their, their spot in the playoffs with the eight-seed. Now, the Philadelphia 76ers are coming into the playoffs with the 13th best offense in the league, the second best defense in the league. Meanwhile, the Wizards are coming in with the 17th best offense, the 19th best defense in the league. And Philly, they've been pretty dominant all season, and they've had the number one seed for most of the year. You know, they've been doing it on both ends of the floor. They arguably have the best player in the series in Joel Embiid. Like, Joel Embiid's been playing like an MVP candidate this year. Spoiler alert, check out our, our episode last week where we talked about the awards predictions. We talked a little bit about Joel Embiid in there as well. We're pretty solid on our awards. We were pretty solid on that. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so already. But basically, Washington doesn't have any player or center to take on Joel Embiid. Like, this, I think this is the first matchup that Joel Embiid's had in his playoff career where there's nobody opposing him to stop him. Like, obviously, Washington has Daniel Gafford. Uh, who's been great. Who's been, who's been pretty good for them. But again, and the goat Robin Lopez, bro, bro the goal, best hook shot player in the league, bro. Still, I think statistically the best hook shot player in the league. I'm not even joking. Still the best, uh, the best uh, three point celebration in the league. Also the best uh, mascot killer in the league. Absolutely, mascot bully. Absolutely, but yeah, I mean the Wizards, they have some decent centers. Oh, and they have Alex Len as well. But <laughs> again, they have decent centers and Alex Len. But none of them are capable of taking on a player like Joel Embiid, and Joel is gonna be able to dominate and be that player that we've seen in the regular season uh you know where he basically became an mvp candidate this year now washington does have bradley beal and russell westbrook and they've been playing very well as of recently you know especially beal and westbrook together have just been fantastic just being the key contributors to 
leading the Wizards to the playoffs, you know, being where they were to, to start the year. Uh, but again, Philly has Ben Simmons. They have arguably one of the best perimeter, def- or if not the best perimeter defender in the league. So no matter what uh, Washington tries to do, one of those two guys are going to be taken out. Because again, you know, best perimeter defender in the league, taking on one of the best offensive players in the league. It's more likely than not the defense is going to win. Uh, you know, and again, you know, it will, you know, it, it does hurt the Wizards as far as taking out one of those two players, Beal and Westbrook. It hurts them in as far as winning them winning this series or actually making it competitive. I mean, Washington's had a nice run. They made it as far as they did. But again, I didn't even mention the Philly not only has Simmons and Embiid, they have Tobias Harris, they have Seth Curry, they have all these like talented players just coming off the roster. Not to mention they have Doc Rivers versus Scott Brooks. Exactly. Like, like I think that that already speaks for itself. Despite Doc Rivers' history and you know his you know you know a bit of you know trickiness with his playoff success, especially in Game Sevens. Yeah, there's no denying Doc Rivers is, is a championship level coach. He's done it. He's he's a veteran coach. He knows how to, how to win in the playoffs. So which is why I think our prediction for this one is pretty. It's probably the easiest one we're predicting a sweep. Yeah, man. One one name you didn't even mention, who I think gets a lot of flack, but excluding what he did offensively in the last two playoffs, his defense remains elite and has continued this season, especially when he doesn't have to guard the other best perimeter player. I'm talking about Danny Green, right? Oh, yeah. You mentioned Ben Simmons locking up one of either Westbrook or uh, Bradley Beal. And whoever he locks up, Danny Green will take the other guy. Bro, and so Danny gets a lot of heat, but again... He's a he's Danny's a playoff performer, man. He show he shows up in the playoffs, and he's a still a de- good defensive player. Exactly, you know you can't and, take that away. And even if you know he doesn't do anything offensively, Philly doesn't need to do Gotta much offensively, that. right? They're going to get whatever they want. The Washington Wizards, though their defense has improved a lot over the past you know two months or so, they're still we know what they are defensively, yeah. right? It doesn't matter that they got this much better. If you're like garbage, you know, 28th ranked defensively in the beginning of the year, that doesn't completely get erased by the end of the season, right? Yeah. So Philly doesn't even have to be spectacular offensively. They can just be okay offensively against a team like the Wizards who have not great defense, especially when you have, if you look at their lineup, Westbrook, a subpar defender, right? Bradley Beal, another not great defender. Davis Bertans, oh, a terrible defender, negative. right? Um, so when you're factoring that in, Philly does not have to be great on the offensive end in order to win the series. And then when we flip it over to the defensive end, Philly is one of the best defending teams in the league. And especially when you factor in the fact that, you know, Russell Westbrook has had his playoff issues, um, primarily because of the fact that teams just scheme, uh, uh, they come up with a scheme to let Russell Westbrook shoot the ball from the outside. And Westbrook has never been able to get over the hump because he's never been able to address that issue in his game. And that has continued into this season where he's been a subpar shooter again. That's what also lost them that game against Indiana, right? So Philly on one end does not have to play great. And on the other end, I think has the tools to not even have to play, you know, to their utmost potential, which is on the defensive end. They can simply be solid on that end to what their talent level is. And I think they will easily win the series. I'm sorry, like Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal have been great, no doubt. But against a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, and you mentioned it, defense wins playoff games. If you can't play defense, spoiler uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about this later on in another, in another series. 
if you can't play defense, you're severely limiting your chance in the NBA playoffs. Yeah. And then, um, you know, as you said, one final point, Scott Brooks versus Doc Rivers. We've had our criticisms of both, but Scott Brooks, man, I hit <laughs> I'm not going to repeat it, but, like, bro, I don't know how this guy has a job, honestly. Bro, man, he got his team to the play-in, man. Like, he, his team was, like, garbage 11 seed, and somehow he ended up in the play, in, in the playoffs. And now I think his job is pretty much safe at this point. Well, at least for, I think, probably next season. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, our prediction, I think, this is the easiest prediction Bust that we had. Yeah, that we had for this uh, Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, bust out the brooms, right? So we, I think we're predicting a sweep versus the Washington Wizards. Yeah. Moving on to the two versus seven matchup, we have the Brooklyn Nets as the second seed versus the Boston Celtics as the seventh seed. Now, the Brooklyn Nets are obviously first in offensive ranking. Uh, no surprise there. But however, they are 22nd in defensive rating. Boston, meanwhile, is 10th in offensive rating and 14th in defensive rating. Now, when it comes to the matchup of these two teams, Obviously, Boston, I think, uh, you know, they're, they are better than what their record suggests. We all know that. But the Brooklyn Nets in this series might have the three best players in, in the series. Now, Jason Tatum, I think you can argue between, for example, him versus Kyrie Irving. But there is no argument for, uh, with him versus James Harden or Kevin Durant. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe later on in his career... Uh, you know, if Boston fans uh, get what they want. But at this stage in their respective careers right now, James Harden and Kevin Durant are vastly superior players compared to a guy like Jason Tatum. So the Brooklyn Nets already have the talent advantage. Offensively, they're going to be able to get whatever they want. They already have arguably, you know, the best offense in NBA history, arguably, right? Um, they have probably the most talented offensive uh, set of stars in NBA history and given Boston's lack of focus and defensive effort and just overall you know play on the defensive end of the, end of the ball it'll be very hard pressed for Boston to be able to do anything against this Brooklyn offense especially given the fact like I said again Boston has been uncharacteristically bad on the on that end of the ball this year um, Brad Stevens will try to make it tough. However, with guys like Evan Fournier and Temba Walker in the lineup, Brooklyn can easily attack those guys in mismatches. And, you know, they don't even need mismatches. Whoever they're guarding is already a mismatch for those guys. Those guys are subpar defenders, right? And Brooklyn already had an offensive advantage. If you're going to be able to give them weak links to attack, Brooklyn's not going to, you know, make any mistakes on the offensive end. However, for Brooklyn... Um, you know, they they won't be able to completely stop the Boston Celtics, right? Um, the Boston Celtics might give them some issues given their lack of defense. However, as we've seen, when Brooklyn focuses on the defensive end of the ball, Boston, uh, you know, or sorry, Brooklyn can play much better on that end of the ball, especially when we're talking about scouting reports in the middle of games. So Boston could pose some problems for the Brooklyn Nets on the defensive end. However, one key thing is that the Boston Celtics don't have Jalen Brown anymore. And, yeah. you know, we're talking about the 10th best offensive rating in basketball for the Boston Celtics. Much of that can be attributed to the growth and success of Jalen Brown, which they do not have this series. Yeah, man, I think it's, it's tough, man. It's tough to see Boston doing well in this series. Just because, again... 
You're talking about a juggernaut Brooklyn Nets team that's pretty much constructed to make the NBA final at the bare minimum. And anything else is not a failure. Let's just keep Bro, if they don't win a championship, it's a failure. It's a failure. But that being said, there's no denying they have that much talent. You have Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Not to mention, you didn't mention a guy like Blake Griffin who was on that team. Joe Harris. Joe Harris. I mean, a guy like Mike Evans. Mike Evans. Mike James. Mike James was a great pickup. Mike James coming in. He was a great pickup. See, I don't even know who he is yet. He's still dropping buckets. Like, it's crazy how much talent that Brooklyn team has. And, you know, Boston's been a good team. You know, despite our hatred for them, you know, we have to respect the, the, what Jason Tatum been able to do. Like, the guy dropped 50 in the playing in the playing game to get Boston at the seventh seed. So, this man can play. And also, Kemba's been turning it around out of the blade. But again, you're going back to, you've A, lost one of your best defenders in Jalen Brown. So, he's one of your best two-way players in Jalen Brown. You're replacing him with pretty much negative defenders in Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. Although, again, they can produce on the offensive end, but defensively, you're losing out on that one against an offensive juggernaut. And then on top of that, like you're basically asking Jason Tatum to carry this team because, again, there's not really much else on this Boston team besides really him and Kemba, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't see how Boston would get this, you know, would be able to do this, man. And then for Brooklyn, I mean, like, you have to win this, man. Exactly. Like, I can see, I can see Boston winning one. Maybe Tatum gets hot, but yeah, this is this is a tough one, man. Like, yeah, and that brings us to my to my final point, which is you know Boston with Brad Stevens, given his history um, of producing the most out of his players and getting the most out of his players, they are good enough with Brad Stevens, Jason Tatum, and if Kemba Walker is able to replicate some of his Charlotte Hornets success, um, they are good enough, I think, to take one game especially if they're in boston however brooklyn man it's just you know what's what's the line from thanos i'm inevitable i'm inevitable yeah. i'm inevitable brooklyn is just too stacked man they're and inevitable. especially with boston not having jalen brown there i think we're gonna give brooklyn a gentleman gentleman's uh sweep yeah. um and the brooklyn nets we are predicting will win the series four to one yeah i i yeah i gotta like i gotta agree with that one man like it's just it's so hard like it must suck to be a Boston fan right now just because it's like, yo, A, you, you, your team is hurt. B, you're in the playoffs and you want to be happy. But C, you're playing Brooklyn, so you're probably going to get slapped. And then D, you lost out on a good draft pick. Exactly. So Boston fans did want to end up tanking after Jalen Brown got hurt. But listen, by then it was a little, too little too late. I enjoy the misery of Boston fans. <laughs> but, you know, this is a, this is a little lot, man. But, so, yeah, Br- Brooklyn 4-1, gentlemen sweep for the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. Moving us on to the third series in the Eastern Conference playoff, first round playoffs matchups. It is the Milwaukee Bucks taking on the Miami Heat. Milwaukee being the third seed, Miami finishing as the sixth seed. Now, Milwaukee's obviously been a good team. They've had the fifth best offensive rating in the league, the 10th best defensive rating in the league. Meanwhile, Miami, 17th offensively, 7th defensively. And, like, this is a rematch from last year's semifinal where Milwaukee basically got slapped by Miami. Four to one, they lost. And it wasn't particularly close. Like, Miami really exposed the Milwaukee Bucks' lackluster defense, over-reliance on Giannis. Not to mention, Miami got red hot from three. And, you know, again, due Bro, to... Bro, Jay Crowder shot, like, 75%. Yeah, and due to the Bucks' stale and stagnant defense, and, Mike, and also Mike Budenholz's inability to adjust, Miami took care of them pretty easily. And it was pretty disappointing for Milwaukee, considering they have championship aspirations. Like, you have a guy who's now a two-time league MVP, 
a defensive player of the year. We've talked about this before. There is immense pressure on Giannis to now go after a championship. It's the same pressure that Kevin Durant went through after his MVP and the scoring titles and making it to the Western Conference Finals. Like, it's the same pressure that Kevin Durant faced. Uh, now, Giannis decided to stay in town rather than go, you know, hop on the bandwagon. So that was that. So that's maybe a little bit of a good thing. Even though, again, you would have been, been nice when you right. I'm just saying. But again, this season, Milwaukee has done things to improve. They've added, they've improved their defense. They added Drew Holiday, PJ Tucker. And Mike Budden also has made it a point of emphasis to kind of tinker with the defense and, you know, make some adjustments. We've talked about it in previous episodes where he's introduced a lot more switching, you know, and different kind of combinations to maybe see what he can, what he has on, on this team, which again, it, some of it worked and some of it didn't, which is why the Bucks have the 10th best defense rather than what they've been a top five defense. So it should help them in the playoffs. And again, they're better on offense. They have a guy like Drew Holiday now. They're a little less reliant on Holiday because now, on, on Giannis because now Drew Holiday can now take it over a bit of that offensive load. Uh, and, you know, this really Drew Holiday, I think, is the biggest the key because he takes away pressure off of Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton has really struggled in the playoffs being that go-to number two option for Giannis. Or even number one. Or even a number one option, which is... I don't necessarily blame him. That's just not his role. I think there are certain players that can play and be a number one, number two option. And then there's certain guys that are more better off suited to a number three. And I think that's more so Chris Middleton's role. So having a guy like Drew Holiday there can split the, split the responsibilities and put less pressure on him and get less defensive attention on Middleton, which means Middleton would potentially be better in that playoff series. You know, and then not to mention, I think this Bucks team has more depth than last year. Like you have guys like PJ Tucker, Bobby Portis, Dante DiVincenzo. Like they, they're they players on this team. You know, there are there are definitely some decent players on this on this Bucks team. But again, it's about will they be able to get it done? And again, they're going up against a Miami team that's still very dangerous. You know, despite their record, like their record, I think is irrelevant because again, they had they started off the year with COVID and injuries, and yet they still made it to the playoffs. So. No discredit to Miami. They play really hard. They arguably have the best playoff performer in the series in Jimmy Butler. Like Jimmy Butler is a playoff performer. He will show up for the playoffs and he will dominate both ends of the floor. You know, and I but I think the trouble for Miami this year is when we on the offensive end. You know, we mentioned a guy like Jay Crowder who shot above seventy percent in, in the series against the Bucks last year. Well now they don't have Jay Crowder. They don't have Kelly Olynyk. They don't have Solomon Hill. They don't have these depth pieces they had last year. And now this year, they have to rely upon their younger players. Like, they need Bam to step up in particular. Bam's got to be that number two option for Jimmy, that, that Robin to Jimmy's Batman. You got to have, like, Duncan Robinson, guys who can't get cold, Tyler Hero, you know, Kendrick Nunn, you know. These are the guys who Miami needs to step up and fill the void that the veterans that they lost left. And that will be the biggest key, you know. I think defensively, I think Miami's fine. I think... They've pretty much established they're still that deep, a good defensive team, but on, it's, for me, it's the offense, and I think you know pair that with the Bucks Bucks improvement on the on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I think this is going to be a pretty interesting matchup. And one more point, coaching wise, it's going to be a question: Will Coach Budenholzer finally adjust in the playoffs, or will he get out coached by Coach Bolstra again? That might be the biggest factor. That's the factor, man. Um, you know, as far as what my what my prediction is for the series, man, I think this is one of the tougher series to predict, I think, out of the first round. I think it's going to go the distance. I think it's going to go seven games. I think the Bucks will edge it out and take it at seven. 
Yeah, I would agree with that simply because of the fact that I think Bucks talent wise and roster wise are much better than they were last season compared to Miami, who I would say might be worse um, than last season. Um, you know, to your point, the biggest factor in the league is definitely Coach Budenholzer. Will he be able to keep up with Eric Spolster? Because we know what Eric Spolster is going to do. You know, his game planning is elite. Um, his schemes are elite. He's a very good coach. So it'll be up to Coach Budenholzer to see what he can do. I think you nailed it on the point about the young players will have to step up, right? Duncan Hero, uh, Duncan Robinson, <laughs> Duncan Hero, <laughs> Duncan Robinson. If you guys remember, he was tiny, he started off slow in the playoffs. He did turn it up. So, you know, hopefully for Miami's sake, he'll be able to replicate what he did at the end of the playoffs rather than what he did in the beginning of the playoffs. Um, and then Tyler Hero had a rough season, right? But hopefully he can turn it around in the playoffs as well. But the main thing that they're missing in terms of, you know, having these guys step up is this is one you... We're going to talk about him later on too. But this is when you miss a guy like Victor Oladipo, right? Mm -hmm. And Victor Oladipo not being there is a huge shot to the Miami Heat who traded for him. Um, gave, with, up, gave up some pieces. They gave up some pieces for him. One of which was Kelly Olenek who was balling in Houston. Um, but they gave up pieces for a guy like Victor Oladipo so that he could help them on both ends in the playoffs. Which, you know, he's not going to be there anymore. To your point about Bam Adebayo, we've said... Everything, like, he's amazing on defense, right? He is absolutely amazing on defense. The issue is on the offensive end. Now, he's a great passer for the big man spot. However, it's the fact that will he be able to put up those points? And they're going to need him to at least be able to get, you know, 15 to 18 points a game, minimum. That's minimal. And we've seen when Jimmy Butler's not playing, Bam Adebayo, unfortunately, cannot get those points. He does everything else great, but those points are hard to come by for him. So yeah. he's going to have to step up against a very good team, uh, a very good defensive team with a lot of length like the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and then final point, I think Milwaukee just, their team got so much better um, with Drew Holiday there, not to mention the fact that you have Drew Holiday replacing Eric Bledsoe, Drew Bledsoe <laughs> in the playoffs, right? That is, I think, one of the biggest things if you're a Milwaukee fan to be excited about. The fact that you don't have to see Eric Bledsoe brick every single three um, and have nine turnovers a game, and you actually have a capable and proven playoff player in Drew Holiday who can get it done on both sides of the ball. And for him to be able to, I think, split duties with Chris Milton will be huge for the Milwaukee Bucks in the sense that Chris Milton uh, won't have to carry the offensive load, especially if Giannis struggles with his jumper, which the Miami Heat will force him to take. Um, and they'll try to replicate their success from last year. And again, this is where the Coach Budenholzer factor comes in. Will he be able to work around Miami's schemes and get Giannis into good spots and get the rest of his guys into good spots? Or will he completely fail again um, like last year? And as a result this year, will be fired according to numerous reports around the league. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's definitely going to be an interesting series, man. It's going to be a fun series. You can say it's a toss-up. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if Miami won in six or seven. Dude, that we wouldn't went, be... We went back and forth. Like We were just like, yo, like, is it Miami? Because like, it's like it's so hard to say, like, oh, Miami's going to lose in the first round. They're like, That's hard to say. Like, exactly. Hard to predict, man. It'll be... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat won in six or the Milwaukee won in six or if they went to seven and either of them won. So I think that would be a very fun matchup to watch from this uh, Eastern Conference edition of the NBA playoffs in the first round. Yeah. Moving on to our final playoff series of the Eastern Conference, 
How <laughs> he's ready for this one. I know you're going to watch uh, every game excited. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely every excited. Game, you know? We're talking about the four versus five matchup. The New York Knicks, who are the fourth seed versus the Atlanta Hawks, who finished as the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, the New York Knicks finished with the 23rd ranked offense and the fourth ranked defense. A while, specialty. <laughs> exactly. A Thibodeau specialty. Uh, whereas Atlanta finished with the eighth best offense and the 21st uh, best defense. Now, I think this is a very evenly matched series in the sense that both teams don't have a ton of playoff experience across their rosters. Yeah. Um, both teams, we would say, are probably the, I would say, at least on paper, the two two of the worst teams, I guess, from this Eastern Conference playoff edition. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Washington, I guess, would be, you know, in that. But they're in the eighth well. spot, so they're going to get slapped. Yeah, exactly. But New York and Atlanta are, they're good teams, no doubt, but they're not as talented as any of the other teams, I would say, minus Washington, right? So I think there's a very evenly matched series in the sense of you look at both rosters, not a ton of experience, um, and just, you know, not that upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. However, both teams are kind of polar opposites of each other. You know, I just named the offensive and defensive rankings. New York is not great offensively and amazing defensively, whereas it's the opposite for Atlanta, where they're a good offensive team and terrible defensively. Now, New York has a good amount of capable scores, I think, with R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, who's been great for them, Emmanuel Quickly. Um, so they do have some capable scores, despite the fact that they did not have a great offense. They do have some talent in that regard, but especially when factoring in Atlanta's terrible defense. Now, I think they even finished better than I thought they would finish as with their defensive ra uh, rating. However, again, similar to what I said about the Philadelphia 76ers versus the Washington Wizards, I don't think New York has to be amazing on the offensive end of the ball. Um, they can be pretty solid, I think, um, against you know the, the lack of defense that Atlanta has. Now, Atlanta does have some good rim protection with Clint Capella and uh, Anyeka Kongu, but uh, New York will for sure target Atlanta's perimeter defenders. For example, Trey Young, who they're going to target like crazy. We thought the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple years ago targeted Steph Curry like crazy in the playoffs or in the finals. New York's going to take it up to a whole nother level with Trey Young just because of the fact that Trey Young is much smaller than even Steph Curry is. Um, so uh, they're going to target Atlanta's perimeter defenders. So what Atlanta will have to do is force New York towards paint help, towards a guy like Clint Capella, who's been great for them, and uh, Anyeka Okongu. However, Atlanta is also uh, much more talented offensively as well. Um, and they're, you know, in theory, capable of working around Tom Thibodeau and New York's defensive schemes just because of the, uh, the talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball. You know, you're talking about Trey Young, a guy that can shoot from inside half court. Bogdan Bogdanovich has been great in the last couple of months for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, another guy like Danilo Gallinari, who's capable of going off for 30, 35 points. However, they're also smaller and I think less talented than the New York Knicks. And that fact, the size factor is real in the playoffs because of the fact that the playoffs are much more physical. And I think a guy like Trey Young will have some difficulties adjusting to that new playoff atmosphere. Um, and then, you know, factoring in another guy like Lou Williams, who's expected to be that sixth man for the Atlanta Hawks. Is he going to be Lemon Pepper Lou again? Lemon Pepper Lou. And, you know, he's had his fair share of struggles in the NBA playoffs, so playoffs as well. And then another guy like Bogdan Bogdanovich, who despite being great for them, has no playoff experience either. So this will be his first time being in the playoffs. Um, New York, again, though, has a top five defense for a reason. And they're going to make 
they're going to try to make life tough for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, their schemes are great. Their coaching on the defensive side of the ball is great. Despite the fact that they don't really have any quote unquote great defenders, but the fact that they still have a top five defense, despite not having any talented defenders, you could say, um, signifies what Tom Thibodeau has been for them. And that brings me to my final point where Tom Thibodeau's experience, I think, will come into play, especially in the playoffs against a guy like Nate McMillan. Tom Thibodeau has had much more success in the playoffs than Nate McMillan has. Uh, Nate McMillan is notoriously very, I think, uh, average or median in the playoffs and with his teams. Um, whereas Tom Thibodeau has gotten his teams to the conference finals. And, you know, going back to the Chicago days was challenging the Miami Heat for Eastern Conference supremacy. And that's the thing, right? Tom Thibodeau and his experience and the fact that defense wins playoff games. And New York has a much better defense than the Atlanta Hawks does, uh, than the Atlanta Hawks do. And the New York Knicks, I think, will be very aggressive with their Tom Thibodeau-like defense. Yeah, man. Listen, um, this is probably going to be the... the it's going to be the least watched series, I think. Although, despite it being probably one of the most competitive ones, just based on the fact that they're pretty evenly matched teams. Like, again, they're polar opposites of each other. But, again, like, each team has their, has their pros and cons. I mean, like, you, you mentioned what New York has. They have their capable scorers of Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Derek Rose, you know, etc., etc. But Atlanta's got their scorers as well. I mean, you, you're talking about a guy in Trey Young who can get you about 30 you know, you're getting Bogdan Bogdanovich and Lou Williams potentially coming off your bench, which is huge. Like, even if we get Lemon Pepper Lou, we might still get like 15 or 18 a night from Bogdan. Like, that's still something. And then Capella's going to grab every single rebound. Uh, he's going to be a present. Oh, Kongu's has been, you know, coming along, uh, you know, as of late. You know, they still have freaking the, you know, the, the, the goat Tony Snell on him. <laughs> And uh, Solomon Hill. So Hey, Tony Snell hasn't missed a free throw in two years. Take yo, that in. Tony Snell is, and Solomon Hill, they have the legendary Raptor killers. Yeah. I'm just saying. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Atlanta has their talent, too. Now, again, they're not great defensively. Like, I've been so critical of Trey Young and his defense just because, again, like, he, he, he can't do it. Like, he's, he's got, like, the Isaiah Thomas effect where it just, no matter what he does, he's just too small, man. And I think... Uh, New York is going to put him in the pick and roll, try to get him switched on to a guy like Julius Randle or something and cook him. But here's my thing about the New York Knicks. Here we go. They're very reliant on Julius Randle <laughs> in the sense that Julius Randle is their creator. Like you mentioned guys like RJ Barrett, Derek Rose. Are they really creators on your team? You know, they they will, they can maybe find their own offense, but what is RJ going to do when he's doubled? I think he's capable of maybe sometimes burning the defense, but I don't see that being a consistent thing throughout a playoff series. Then the same thing with Derrick Rose, you know, even Burks and Quickly. Like, they, these aren't guys that can really take over. You know, Julius Randle is their guy. And, you know, the team, I think, follows through his energy. So if he's shut down, I think you can realistically shut down the, shut down the New York Knicks offense. Because, again, it's, they're 23rd for a reason. Like, they, besides Julius Randle, they really don't have a ton of offense on that team. And um, I think, again, Atlanta might not have the defensive ability but I could see them throwing a, a Kongu on him. I can see them throwing bodies in at, uh, at Randall and making him, forcing him to play on the perimeter. Again, Randall shot really great from three this year. He's been awesome from three. But man, if I think his preference is obviously to go inside and to, and to be that the, uh, be a big man. So I think Atlanta's going to take that away 
from them. And I think that will collapse the New York's offense. But again, will Atlanta have enough offensive firepower to out overcome New York's defense? That's the, to me the big question. And then the other question marks on guys like uh, DeAndre Hunter. I don't know if he's playing or not. We don't. Uh, yeah, situation kind of murky. I think not a hundred percent sure on DeAndre Hunter. Uh, if he's playing again, that's another guy you can throw on a guy like RJ. Yeah, Barrett but he's missed so much time. I don't. I don't. Hey, listen, man. He's still he's a impressed. great perimeter defender. Yeah, but I don't even think. I don't even know how much he's gonna play to be honest. Yeah, I don't know how much he's gonna play. Like it all depends on his health, man. And again, you talk about Thibodeau's experience versus Nate McMillan's, but you're also talking about two coaches that are very. Stuck in their ways and not really adjustable coaches like both sides. Yeah. <laughs> like Tibbs doesn't like changing his ways. Neither does Nate McMillan. So it's really about who blinks first. Pretty <laughs> much, <laughs> That's really yeah. what it comes down to. Um, but yeah, I mean, as much as you say defense wins playoff games, man, I think this is gonna be a competitive series. I think it could actually be a little bit of a little bit of fun. Um, but I have I have uh, equal hatred on on both sides. But I think. <laughs> Uh, I gotta keep my, my my theme consistent, man. I gotta I gotta keep my my bandwagon hate going on the New York Knicks, and that's why I'm picking the Atlanta Hawks in seven games. Oh my god, <laughs> man! Oh I my. Said, Listen to your point about if Atlanta is able to shut down Julius Randle. New York's offense is, you know, bad enough in theory that Atlanta Hawks could do some damage to New York's offense. However, my thing is once again. New York doesn't rely on their offense to win them games. They rely on their defense to win That's them true. games. And in the playoffs, with more physicality and the offense, you know, offensive numbers all go down across the board in the playoffs, which is why defense is so much more important. It's so much harder to come by baskets in the playoffs. And so the New York Knicks, I think, are much more suited towards the playoff basketball atmosphere than the Atlanta Hawks are. And for that reason... Um, again, I think they're both pretty evenly matched teams, but for that reason, I am actually going to go with the New York Knicks winning it in seven games for the series. Listen, honestly, it's a toss-up between which one of these teams are going to win. I think, uh, you know, the sensible part of me is saying New York, but you know what? The, the just just for, just for the for just to keep me keep consistent, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Atlanta. Just because, and again, whichever one of these teams makes it to the second round, they're gonna be slapped. Spoiler alert: our second round prediction. Whoever, which one of these teams are gonna be slapped in the next round? <laughs> like that's just gonna happen. Like it, there's just no denying it. But yeah, those are our predictions for the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Let us know what you guys think. And just to quickly recap them: we have Philadelphia advancing in uh, in a sweep, Boston, uh, Brooklyn beating uh, Boston in in five games. We have Milwaukee beating Miami in seven. Uh, and Zishan has New York winning in seven. I have Atlanta winning in seven. So those are our predictions. Let us know what you guys think, agree or disagree, on the comment section on YouTube or on social media. And finally, to bring us into the up and under segment for this week, uh, not really a ton of news, honestly, with playoffs going on. But first off, we got to talk about the NBA playing tournament. Uh, obviously, it was a little interesting. It was interesting, obviously, but again, it looks more likely than not that the 7th and 8th seeds who went into the plans are going to be the 7th and 8th seed for the playoffs, which kind of, you know, raises questions on how good was it? Because again, the best game we saw was the Warriors versus Lakers. That was the best game hands down we saw. Uh, and, you know, but I don't think every single year you're going to have a LeBron James versus Steph Curry in the play-in, which is why we got to ask, Adam Silver Are you is basically saying uh, he is. Uh, he wants the playing tournament to be permanent. So are you up or under on what Adam Silver mentioned about the NBA playing tournament? I mean, I'm under on it. You know, we've said this before that we're not fans of the playing tournament. Um, and going off, to, uh, going off of your points. First of all, the teams that were supposed to make it made it, right? Yeah. 
the seven and eight seeds. So what, were, what was the point? <laughs> exactly. The, the teams that were supposed to make it. Well, I mean, we're still waiting for the Golden State Memphis game. But I think we can all, I would say Golden State might win it. Most uh, likely. We'll probably win it, to be honest. Unless, you know, Memphis is a good team, no doubt. So Listen, they definitely could. Shout out John Moran. Shout out, shout out Memphis. Shout, shout out JV. He's being great. Um, but, you know, for the most part, the teams that were supposed to make it, made it. Then we're talking about when, you know, the success in terms of entertainment value for the playing tournament. If we're being real, there was only one really good game. And yeah. We're saying it, it was the Golden State. Was there like two other blowouts? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And it was like blowouts across the board. San Antonio versus Memphis, I think, finished as a very good game. Well, I mean, it, however, it's, they were down like 22. Yeah, but again, it's, it's San Antonio versus Memphis. Like, I, let's be real. Yeah. Right? The only good game definitively was the Golden State versus the Los Angeles Lakers game. And to your point, that only happened because of the fact that the Golden State Warriors are missing Klay Thompson this year. And then LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the whole Lakers team were injured to hell this year. And so they dropped down to the seventh seed. Which other year would you see a LeBron James versus Steph Curry matchup in the playing tournament? <laughs> Never, right? So when you, this is the highest or like the most potential you could get out of a playing tournament, but chances are this is never going to happen again, right? So when we're talking about the success in terms of entertainment value for the playing tournament, I don't really see the entertainment value except for the one game that we had, yeah. honestly. It's the one game I watched. Exactly. <laughs> so the rest of the games, I honestly couldn't care less. And also the fact that like you're watching a 7th versus 8th versus 9th versus 10th seed. We know for the most part, whoever wins those games are going to get slapped in the first round by the first <laughs> or second seed. Yep. Like, let's be real. Except for, again, the Los Angeles Lakers this year or the Golden State Warriors, right? Both teams that were heavily affected by the COVID and injury experience of this season. However, going forward, will those things happen again? Uh, hopefully not because we don't yeah. want any of this to happen again. Yeah. But in terms of the entertainment value of the playing tournament, I don't really see it. Yeah, I, I, I got I to agree with you, man. Like, I just don't see... The need for this, like again, like it, it comes back to my whole point. What I mentioned, like a couple of episodes ago, when we, talk, when we talked about the playing tournament, was that what's the incentive for the seventh and eighth seed to do this? Like they already earned their spot to be in the playoffs. They won more games than the ninth and tenth seeds. So why do they have to compete for it? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and this basically proves it. The fact that the seventh and eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, and pretty much the seventh and most likely the eighth seed in the in the Western Conference, are going to make the playoffs. What was the point of playing these two extra games that put so much pressure and risking injury? Like, imagine LeBron got hurt on that, that which was a flagrant foul, by the way, on Draymond that Green. That was a flagrant foul. That was a flagrant foul by Draymond Green. But imagine LeBron got injured and the, and the Lakers lost. The Lakers would have been like, what the hell? We, had to, we, we were the 7th seed. We should have exactly. been in the playoff. But now my, my best player got hurt. You know? I think that, that just, it doesn't work, you know? It, it, it's one of those... You know, situations where you know you never you you would hate to see that happen. You would hate to see a situation like that happen. And I think that's kind of why the playing tournaments. I, I don't think it should stick around. Yeah, man, we've been. I think we've said before that we're not fans of this playing tournament. A lot of fans, I think, are, and that's probably going to be the main incentive going forward for the oh, NBA. And, and this. Yeah, exactly. And this. That's that's the main incentive. I mean, the, the green is nice. I got but, it. The petting, yeah, exactly. The but in terms of entertainment value, like, I don't really see what the playing tournament. But moving on, are you up or under on the fact that Masai Ujiri, the Raptors president, um, saying that the Raptors have no interest in playing outside of Toronto again? Yeah, I'm up on that. Like, 
this season, like again, they they met all the players and coaches and all the in their interviews all men, mentioned Tampa was great at being like a location, you know, having the weather, all that stuff. But it's not Toronto. Like that's the underlying that it's not where they're supposed to be. It's not where they're supposed to be playing. It's not it's not home. You know, it's not it's not a home atmosphere for them because that's not where their team is supposed to be. You know, so I think it was a huge disadvantage for the Raptors in general. Now, again, I know the circumstances made it so that they had no choice but to go to Tampa, but it, it, it was not an advantageous situation for the Toronto Raptors. And I think any team who would have been put into that situation would have had the same had would have probably had the same experience because, you know, especially as a player, like you have a routine when you're at home, you know what you're doing, you know where everything is, but when you're taken away from that, have to establish a whole new routine, you know. And then, you know, get to your peak and then get hit with COVID and then deal with up and down. Like, it was just, like, it was just an entirely bad situation from start to finish for the, from the Raptors. Yeah, like, when we're talking about, they had 72 away games, legitimately. When they were at home, they were getting booed by their own home crowd, right? So, it wasn't advantageous for them. And then not to mention the fact that, like, a lot of these guys have families, right? Yeah. And, like, if you move your whole family to Toronto and then you're forced to move at least because i don't think they would take their whole family with them they would probably only take like their immediate family to their new location having to approve your whole family not to mention if like your kids are going to school i know everything's like online this year so it's not as bad but like your kids are going to school for example your wife or whatever has a job you know like it's a whole uh challenge trying to do this while your job is pretty much based on your routine as hani said so I think this was just not a good experience for the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors are still on their playoff streak. The Tampa Bay Raptors are the ones who got kicked out of the playoffs yeah. this year. Tampa had bad basketball vibes. And also the other thing is when you look up in the Raptors, man, and you, you 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 just don't see anything familiar anymore. Like I guess I know the Raptors brought their championship banner with them, but like yo, you look up, you don't see anything Toronto. You just see everything Tampa. So yeah. that that it's all about the mental aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on, are you up or under on Victor Oladipo? Uh, it's said to miss the rest of the season with, you know, after he's going to undergo quad surgery. Now, again, Victor Oladipo has been battling this quad injury for the last two years now. And he did what well, he was traded by Miami, but now he's going to be an impending free agent and now go undergoing surgery. So are you up on on how this impacts the Miami Heat and Victor Oladipo? I mean, I'm obviously under on it for both, uh, for both sides because of the fact that Victor Oladipo, for one, is trying to get as much money as he can in a free agency. And now he's probably going to have to take some DeMarcus Cousins deals, right? Yeah. Right? He's, nobody's going to give nobody's gonna give him any good contracts or any good contracts for a player of his caliber. So he's going to have to take a lot of prove-it deals. Um, so for him, this was just not a good situation for him, especially given the fact that he was going to, I think, an ideal situation in Miami for himself and for where he'd be playing at, his role, everything. And for him, this injury is not ideal. And then we already talked about the Miami, like the issue of Victor Oladipo being injured for Miami. This just kills them even more in the sense that their depth is, they have less depth, they have less offense, they have less defense, they have, uh, they lose a ball creator, another facilitator, another guy that can take off pressure of, uh, off of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. So I think this just hurts them a lot, given the fact that they traded away a guy like Kelly Olenek, who we've seen what he's doing in Houston. Now, again, I don't think he would have done that in Miami, 
but it would definitely be nice to have at least some of that replicated in a Miami Heat jersey. Um, so giving up Victor Oladipo, I mean, giving up Kelly Olynyk for a guy like Victor Oladipo, who you're going to miss now in the playoffs, is not ideal. I think the only good thing that comes out of this is for the Miami Heat that they they gave up uh, Kelly Olynyk, who's going to be impending free agent. Um, for a guy like Victor Oladipo, who's also impending free agent. So they have no contractual obligations towards either of those guys. It frees up some money. And now if they want to re-sign Victor Oladipo, for example, I mean, for them, they can re-sign him at a cheaper price. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's probably the only positive. But again, in terms of a guy like Victor Oladipo, like, that's something. Like, you brought up DeMarcus Hudson. That's actually the perfect analogy, the perfect comparison in the sense that DeMarcus Cousins had a career year with the New Orleans Pelicans before he got hurt. He got hurt and never really recovered. And after that, just taking one-year deal after one-year deal, hopping from place to another. And it looks like that might happen to Victor Oladipo. Now, again, we're talking about a big versus a guard and completely different injuries. Like Victor Oladipo was a quad. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins was Achilles. So it, it's, it's a little different. But again... The concept is the same. I mean, a player who was great two years ago before he got hurt gets hurt and now isn't the same again. We've seen it time and time again, man. It sucks. It's a really shitty narrative. But again, it's kind of just part of part yeah. of sports, man. It's just part of it all. Yeah. And finally, oh, man. Are you ever under on the fact that Luke Walton will reportedly return as the Kings head coach next season? Dude, I'm under on this, man. Our hit list backfired. Like, how, how did it backfire? Like, yo, oh. we, we basically were like, yo, Luke Walden's trash. He sucks. Like, he's not really a great coach. And the Kings are like, yo, we're going to bring you back. Like, yo, it's such, it's such a Sacramento Kings thing to do, man. Like, it's honestly such a Vivek Ranadipe move. By the way, we don't even know who their GM is. Like, <laughs> we thought it was Vladi, but it's actually not, his, not, not their GM. So, I don't even know who's running the Kings organization at this point. But... This ain't the move, man. This is legitimately one of those moves where you're just like... Oh, oh Monty McNair. Oh, Monty right. McNair. That's who it was. So, uh, who? Uh, I mean, I've heard he has a good reputation around the league. So bro, I'll he's bringing back Luke Walton, bro. <laughs> this is already I mean, that might, that might be an order from upstairs, though. But yeah, man, like Luke Walton, I don't understand how this guy is going to have his job, man. Like, how sway. Um, Scott Brooks, I... Yeah, bro, my, my list backfired. Like, I... I got like 50% on my list. Uh, Scott Brooks is probably going to be back next year. Luke Walton yeah. is going to be back. I do think Luke Walton might be canned in the middle of the season next year. Who knows? But um, I wouldn't be surprised. And why is that? Because it's a perpetual disappointment that is the Sacramento Kings franchise. Yep. And Kings fans have no problem with me saying that because they're stuck in they sports know. purgatory as well. They know better than I do, to be honest. Dude, they have the longest active playoff drought, I think. Like I think not, I think in North American sports or something. Dude, right? remember when Minnesota had the longest drought? Yeah. So the fact that you were the second longest drought and now you're <laughs> And the fact that at least Minnesota had, you know, some semblance of talent on their team and then they got Jimmy Butler. So they had some hope. And they got a good or oh, quote unquote good coach in Tom Thibodeau. Sacramento has literally no hope. Do you do you see them getting an each seed next year with this no. team? No. Maybe if a play in spot open up, but again, it's like there's just so much talent in the Western Conference that, like, a team like Golden State struggled to big at the eighth spot. Like, it's not easy in the Western Conference, and I just I don't see the Kings doing much of anything. How does Deuce still have a job? I don't. This is why 
bad franchises remain bad franchises. Yeah, dude. pretty much. Yeah, man. Like the, I don't know what, what to say, man. I'm under on the Luke Walton thing, but we'll see what happens, man. The Kings are just a garbage franchise. But with that, that concludes this week's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, uh, YouTube, basically wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. Also, check us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram at up, letter N, under podcast, facebook.com slash up and under podcast for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news like playoffs, for instance, as they occur. So definitely check that out. Also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's a place where we write blog posts with every single episode. So if you don't have time to listen or watch the full thing, you can read about it on our website. So definitely check that out if you've been done so, man. And um, yeah, man, it's playoff time. Yeah, stay tuned for our Western Conference predictions as well. Absolutely. Our all-NBA, all-defensive teams also going to come out very, very soon. And then off-season content as well. So definitely stay tuned. We have a lot, a lot coming uh, on the show. So with that, that concludes this week's episode. We'll see you guys all in the next one. Take it easy. Easy.